postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. The world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Pastor Marcus here, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys today. This is the second to last episode of Adventism for a post-church generation. Remember, if you guys want to get the accompanying book for this series, you can get it on Amazon. It's called We Revolution, or you can go to the storychurchproject.com slash store and uh, you can get it through there. All the links and stuff are there. So um, in that book, there is uh, maybe a few things that aren't mentioned in the podcast series. And likewise, the podcast series goes into a few things that aren't in the book. Particularly the next episode is going to be um, unique. It's going to be a fresh installment of uh, this entire discussion where I'm actually going to go into some nitty gritties of the contextualizing uh, Adventist um, theology or the Adventist message, narrative, etc. for the post-church age. And so we're going to get... Um, a little bit uh, on the sort of uh, pragmatic side of things and, and, and stop looking at sort of the metaphysical or, or the, the, the conceptual and actually give some tangible examples. I'll talk about that a little bit more next time. What I want to do in today's episode is I want to land the plane, so to speak, because last week, uh, or really the last two episodes, have made some pretty massive um, claims, I should say, or maybe that's not the best way of putting it out. I'm not, I don't think I'm making any massive claims so much as I am opening up our, our vision or our understanding to some massive things uh, within our history and within our theological narrative and our identity. Uh, and so those, those big massive things, they're, they're, they're heavy and they're beautiful and they're uncomfortable and, and all of that in between. So what I want to do today is I want to land that plane a little bit and, and really take a look at where do we go from here, all right? Where, where do we go from here in terms of this is what Adventism is, this is what Adventism has become, which was really what the last episode was, um, and so where do we go from here? So that's what I want to talk about in today's episode. And I want to phrase the question this way. Is it possible for us to create a culture that is in harmony with our narrative, centered in Jesus and expressing the totality of God's love? Now, if you haven't heard the previous episode, it may be very, very difficult, if not maybe even impossible to appreciate why I'm even asking that question. So if you're coming into this series and this is the very first episode you hear, I'm telling you, you are, you're selling yourself short. You got to go back. You got to listen to the previous episodes so that you can actually appreciate what we're discussing in this particular episode. Uh, so definitely go back. If you haven't heard them, hit pause, hit stop. Don't listen anymore. Go back here to the ones first. But for those who have heard it, I don't need to explain why I'm asking that question. Uh, simply remembering what the last episode was about will suffice. Because the truth is that despite the fact that we have this beautiful narrative centered in the love of God, uh, we haven't really manifested a church culture that is in harmony with that narrative. Uh, our church cultures have manifested in, in quite 
toxic directions. Not always. I want to I want to take a moment to celebrate the local Adventist churches that are out there that are beautiful, stunning, um, absolutely brilliant manifestations of what it means to be a people who love God and who love one another. And it's absolutely awesome. I want to celebrate those because they are there. It's not all bad news. But I, I think it'd be um, maybe uh, an overstatement to suggest that those churches are the norm because uh, quite often they are rare. Um, you, you go into a typical city where there's an Adventist presence and maybe you'll find one church, maybe two, that are really manifesting the character of God, um, not merely in, in being nice or being friendly. I think you'd probably find a bunch of Adventist churches that are nice or friendly, but going beyond the nice and friendly to, to actually being uh, consequential and existentially meaningful communities of faith that are, are contextual, that are relevant, that are powerful at uh, connecting with emerging generations, I think you're probably you know going to find that that's a rarer thing. Um, and so there is a sense in which we have never really fully manifested what we are and what the potential is. Uh, and so that's what I want to talk about in today's episode. Is it possible, right? Is it possible to, to, to have local churches, to create a culture that is in harmony with this narrative, this sanctuary narrative that's centered in Jesus and, and expresses the totality of God's love? Now, I do believe so. I believe so. Um, however, I would like to propose that the solution has nothing to do with church administration. Uh, or, or maybe that's an overstatement. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to make it an us versus them thing because that's not my point at all. I guess what I'm trying to emphasize is that it's really a grassroots thing that I think is the solution. It's it's the everyday you and me. And so I believe the solution, at least the way it makes sense in my head, is that we as everyday Seventh-day Adventist church members need to launch a, a, a campaign of transformation, right? A, a change. We, we need to be the catalyst aimed at remembering our story and, and then building on it and communicating it. So allow me to maybe tap into each of those as we go along. So I, I talked about, you know, sort of this catalyst for change where we remember our story, we build on our story, we communicate our story. Um, so, so let me take those each one by one. Uh, as we as we aim to see how this can manifest in the future. Now, remember, <clears throat> I want to start with this whole idea of remembering our story. And, and remembering our story begins with the question that we've already addressed, which is what is our story? And this is the question that was answered in the previous episodes. But to summarize, it's really, really simple. Adventism story begins with two foundations. The first is that God is other-centered love in its purest sense. And the second is that his entire redemptive plan takes place in harmony with human time. So the first reveals the essence of his character, and the second applies that essence to all of his dealings with men. And the end result is a narrative that is not only Christ-centered, but Christ-filled. And that's massive. So let me put it maybe a little bit differently. Jesus isn't only the center of Scripture. He is the fullness of Scripture. 
So Adventism is a story, and, and I think this is absolutely massive, this is absolutely key. Adventism is a story that is not about Adventism. Rather, it is a story about the character of God. And that's so huge because, man, we messed that up, dude. Like we, we in our evangelism, in our, in, in our apologetics, and you know, we, in our, our Bible studies, we try to make it sound like the point of this whole story is us. And it's not us. We may occupy a beautiful prophetic space, but that doesn't mean that it's about us because it's not about us. It's about Jesus and it's about the character of God. And so we are here and our significance is uh, really attached only to who Jesus is. And so if we make Adventism a story that's about Adventism, we actually that's the best way of putting it. We corrupt what Adventism actually is. The moment Adventism is about itself, you've got a corrupted version of Adventism. The moment Adventism is about we're the right people and God's only blessing us and we're the only ones that uh, are going to go to heaven or, you know, and those might be like really exaggerated. You may not necessarily hear it like that. I think sometimes it's a little bit more subtle than that. But the point is, Anytime Adventism becomes about itself, it has been corrupted because Adventism at its very core is a story that is not about itself. It's a story that's about the character of God. So through this God is love slash with us lens, right? The, the, the lens of the sanctuary, we understand every single theme of the Bible. And this includes the law and end time events and spiritual gifts and the judgment and the state of the dead and the fate of the wicked. All of this we understand it through this lens of a God who wants to hang out with us, of a God who wants to be close to us. Now, Ella White talked about the importance of the sanctuary when she wrote, um, and I'm quoting her here, that our minds should be, and I quote, directed to the heavenly sanctuary. Uh, for, she, she continues to write, the foundation of our faith is found in a correct understanding of the ministration of the heavenly sanctuary. But Ellen White wasn't alone, right? Most of the pioneers of our movement saw the sanctuary as a really essential, like sort of foundational building block that the whole structure of SDA thought of, of Adventist, you know, ideology was really constructed on this idea of, of the sanctuary. So, so James White, for example, could say that the subject of the sanctuary should be carefully examined as it lies at the foundation of our faith and hope. Um, and so in the sanctuary, uh, Adventism finds this harmonious and cohesive exposition of, of the narrative of redemption, of the narrative of scripture, of scripture as a whole, that is really fundamentally unheard of in the Christian world. And that is not a sectarian statement. That is not a statement of, hey, look at us, we're so much better and we know it all because we definitely don't. And in the last episode, I talked about how we really screw this up all the time. Uh, it's simply a statement of, hey, there's something eccentric that we have here. And if we can come close to people and love on people and honor people and respect people and value people, we can have amazing conversations about the, about the heart of God. And, and so the truth that's made us what we are, this foundation for our faith, this sanctuary theme, which again, it's not a building, you guys. It's the posture of God. is God's desire to be with that sanctuary. And, and building has a little bit of a role in that, you know, as we go. But really the essence of it 
is God's desire to be with people. Um, and so we, we read this um, most clearly in Exodus 25, 8, where God basically tells the nation of Israel to, to make him a sanctuary, but then he tells them why. It's like, let them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. And so in contrast to the pagan gods that wanted little to do with their worshipers, the God of Israel desired to dwell among the sons of Israel and be their God, right? That's Exodus 29, 45. He wanted to be among them, right? And, and we see this theme all throughout scripture. So while the theme of the sanctuary is deep and broad, its simplest meaning is that it communicates God's desire to be with us in our time and space, in intimate relationship, right? He's not detached. He's here. He's connected. He's friend. He's relational. And so the sanctuary reveals God's closeness to us and his desire to be with us. His redemptive plan is, is it unfolds on our behalf through this metaphor, through this thing called the sanctuary. And through it, we come to understand his character of love, his plan of salvation and his eventual triumph over injustice and oppression and, and sin and empire. And so of the sanctuary, and you see this as you go through scripture, right? Like the, the, the King David, for example, he wrote that the sanctuary reveals God's power and glory, right? That's Psalm 63, 2. And, and, and the narrative of justice and redemption, right? So that's Psalm 73, 17. And, and this permeates the entire arc of scripture, with end, which ends with this promise from Revelation 21, 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God. God is with man and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That term with, that's sanctuary. And the whole narrative of scripture ends by celebrating this eternal sanctuary experience that we're going to dwell in, in, in the new earth where God is with us. Now, some people may ask, hey, this is cool and all, but don't all Christians believe that God is with us? Uh, and the answer is yes, I, I would assume so. Anyways, the ones that I'm familiar with, I think we all believe that God is with us. But that difference is that in Adventism, the withness of God isn't simply a belief. I, I really want you to understand this. It's not simply a belief. It is a means by which we interpret every theme of Scripture. So the sanctuary... Or, or God's withness is a lens, it's an interpretive lens by which we read everything else in Scripture. So for Adventism, the entire Bible is to be understood, not through the lens of perfection, not through the lens of personal assurance, not through the lens of, you know, Eurocentric culture or philosophy or some other pet doctrine, but through the lens of a God who loves relentlessly and desires from his high and lofty throne to be with us. And this interpretive lens, combined with our commitment to the centrality of Jesus, gives us a fresh approach to the law, to the Sabbath, to the covenants, to the angelic realm, to the rebellion of Satan, to the judgment of God, to the prophetic timeline, to the treatment of our bodies, to the gospel, justification, sanctification, end time events, and the process of judgment. It's all read through this lens of a God who wants to be with us. And as was made clear, it's not necessarily what we believe about each of these doctrines that is in itself eccentric or unique because our beliefs are shared interdenominationally, but it's the way in which the sanctuary has strung all of these beautiful beliefs together into a rhythm that reveals God's character through and through. 
And the tragedy, you guys, the tragedy of Adventism is that we continue to redefine our lens, our narrative with man-centered concepts. We continue to turn the story of God into the story of us. My assurance is the most important thing. My character perfection is the most important thing. My culture, my pet doctrine, my favorite philosophy. And we have forgotten that it's not about us, right? The great controversy is over the character of God. Who is he? What is he like? And how does every theme of scripture from law to grace, from Israel to church, from the former things of old to the things that are yet to come, reveal the truth about God's love? And the clearest evidence of how far we've fallen from our identity is seen in nearly every local church. If, if you're a pastor, maybe you've been repeatedly exposed to church members who complain that we focus too much on God's love and don't preach the distinctives anymore, right? These criticisms, are, 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 they're frustrating to those of us who know that the only thing we're, worth talking about is the love of God. But the complaints may not necessarily come from a bad place. Instead, many, I think, are rightly annoyed by the rising trend to focus on the same surface message found in other Arminian denominations that speak of God's love all the time, but cannot provide any deep and meaningful uh, existential extrapolation or, or discovery of Scripture's narrative. And so the sad part is that many of our members think that the only alternative to this superficial focus on the love of God is to preach the distinctives while downplaying the love and grace of God. And they have no idea that Adventism, as the only full story approach to the love of God in the theological world, is itself the alternative. It celebrates the centrality and supremacy of Jesus and the revelation of God's character of love through all of Scripture. So think of it this way. Um, imagine a table full of microscopes. And all the, all the microscopes are different colors, sizes, and they have different zoom capacities. Now, imagine one glass base that all of those microscopes took turns looking at. Each of the microscopes would provide you a different view of the contents on that glass base. So as you looked through each of them, you would see more or different details than the other microscopes can offer. And in the end, you have this full panoramic picture and it's amazing. Now, imagine someone walks in and rather than looking through the microscopes at the contents on the glass, they marvel at the microscopes instead and never look through them. How weird would that be, right? Like, <laughs> it's not about the microscopes, man. It's about what they're, what you can see through them, right? And, and yet that's what Adventists do all the time. That, that glass base is the love of God. And the microscopes are doctrine. And each doctrine reveals different details and angles and colors on the love of God. And they're meant to be looked through, not merely looked at. And yet, how many of us obsess over the doctrines by looking at them, but we never resolve to look through them and discover what they say about God's heart? And that is the uniqueness of Adventism. It is about nothing other than the love of God as found in the person of Jesus and expressed in every doctrine, right? It presents this beautiful, um, panoramic, multicolored view of God's heart. And we explore that gladly because we know that as we look through each and every doctrine, these microscopes, we will discover more and more about the unfailing love of God. And I think that really, if we want to see transformation take place in our churches, 
changes. We need a grassroots movement. We need people who are willing to say, we want to be agents of remembrance in our local spaces that really point people to remembering why we exist, why, what we are all about. Now, let me move on to, to the second one, which is actually build upon our story. Now, once we've remembered our story, we need to build on it. And at this point, I need to make a massive clarification, all right? This current podcast series, and especially the last two episodes, it might give the impression that there was a golden age of Adventism, a time in which we had it all together and the pioneers had figured out this beautiful panoramic, you know, technicolor view of God and and they were just basking in it and then along came the legalists and messed it up. Um, But actually, this isn't the case. Adventism has never had a golden era. What our pioneers had was a clear vision of how scripture was to be understood. And from there, they began to put the pieces together and develop this holistic mosaic, right? This system of truth that we call Adventism. But they only got so far before the church veered off into legalism and every other distraction that's gotten in the way since. And so to this day, this whole Bible approach to the love of God that Adventism is has yet to be fully realized. And even as I share this, right, we are once again inundated with distractions and divisions over church authority and ordination. And, and, and these themes are diverging us from realizing who we are and what we have been called to say. Now, I'm not saying that our present debates are useless because they're very, very, very relevant and they're very important. But what I am saying is two things. Number one, we can't allow them to take, a, take us away from developing this theological narrative. Um, because, you know, we've put that task on the back burner for far too long. And the foundation for a beautiful theological narrative is there. And from it, we can build toward a greater understanding of God's love uh, and take the church and the culture by storm, which is what I I think we were called to do. So there's a degree to which we have to say, hey, look, we, we can't allow ourselves to be distracted from that central task. But at the same time, I fundamentally believe that if we... If, if we had not ever been distracted from that task, we wouldn't be having the debates we're having today because they're just so wonky and ridiculous. And yeah, it's just, don't get me started because it's almost a separate topic. <laughs> but um, to a large degree, man, I think if we were a people centered in the character of God and the love of God and not being distracted by fundamentalism and, you know, all, all this crazy stuff that we've got going on, um, we, we wouldn't even be having these debates, man. We, we would be taking the culture by storm. So, yeah, look, I think we really, really need to build on this. And I think we need a, 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 a grassroots movement of Adventists who are like, hey, we want to take this narrative of God's heart and we want to build on it and want to take the culture by storm. We're not asking for permission. We're not, we're not waiting around for administration. We're going to be filled with the spirit. We're just going to go for it. And, and honestly, I don't think it's, it's, it's like we, it's not like we have a choice, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because we are told that and in the great controversy that the last rays of merciful light, I'm quoting Ellen White here, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character 
of love, right? It's not like the last message to the world is not a revelation of who the remnant is. It's not a revelation of, you know, <laughs> the 28 fundamentals. Like it's a revelation of his character of love. And so at the very best, Adventism is itself nothing more than a microscope through which the world can see the love of God. But, you know, we, we, we really have to build on our story and, and, and not be distracted by the, the crazy stuff that's distracted us for so long. Because when we do, when we, when, we, when we do that, we ourselves become part of the problem. We become the obstacle, part of the obstacle to the world that is, to a world that's searching desperately for, for, for God. Um, and so, yeah, I, I believe that it's through this God is love with us, you know, this sanctuary approach that um, unravels the mysteries of scripture. It's through that that we can construct and contextualize a beautiful narrative and message for, for the present age. More on that in the next episode. All right, I'm going to hit the last one. So we talked about remembering our story and we've talked about um, uh, building on our story. And now I want to talk about communicating our story. Rediscovering Adventism should awaken a new generation to the beauty and relevance of what we have to say. And, and from there, and I wish I could extrapolate on this a lot. I, I'll talk about it a little bit more in the next episode. So let me just introduce it here. I think from there, every ounce of Adventist talent needs to be released, right? Musicians, artists, poets, writers, bloggers, designers, videographers, cinematographers, script writers, educators, etc. Um, they need to be released to take this beautiful narrative and create art with it and, and communicate it to a diverse world in a diversity of ways. And so what this means is that we as a church have to accept that this release this, hey, here's our narrative, here's our heart, take this to the culture through your talents, through your art. This cannot be stifled by conservative cultural expectations. And we saw that um, some years ago with the record keeper, Jason Satterland, the record keeper. Um, and that was really tragic. And I think very disheartening for a lot of millennial creatives to see someone like Jason put his heart and soul into creating something for the culture. And then the conservatives had a hissy fit, so the whole thing got canceled. And it was like, wow, wow, you know? And some people have asked me, Marcus, why did you self-publish your Bible studies? Why didn't you go through, you know, like the ABC or, you know, Adventist publisher? And, you know, honestly, I didn't want to. Uh, after the experience that Jason Satterland had, I was like, I don't want any administrators to, to put one fingerprint on this thing. Um, and, and you know what? Maybe that's unfair because I know that not everyone is like that. And particularly where I work in Australia, I, I find the leaders here uh, absolutely amazing, wonderful people, like super, super encouraging and inspiring, especially to creatives. And they do some amazing work. Um, but that was for some reason, you know, in the back of my head. And it was just like, you know what? I think I want to use my, my art independently. And, and if you're an artist and, you know, I, I encourage you, like use your art independently. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't always have to go through an official church channel. Um, but at the same time, I do want to challenge the church and those who are in positions of influence and leadership. I want to, I want to speak, um, you know, from, from my, uh, you know, position as a, as a local church pastor and as a, as a lover of the culture. It's like, man, we really have to 
We have to let go of the control. Um, and we have to let go of trying to be, uh, trying to preserve some sort of culturally conservative vision of Adventism, because that's not what Adventism is. You know, like that's, that's something that we've added on to it. And I think if we're using those expectations to, to sort of control Adventism, we are going to stifle it for another generation. And I, for one, don't want to see that. So I would say, hey, set creatives free with creative control, directed by this holistic narrative of Adventism, this beautiful narrative to plant new churches with new cultures, to write new songs, to create new films, uh, vlogs and art and, and other relevant resources that communicate our story in culturally savvy ways. And I would say this, I would, I would go even further and say, you know, Adventism, especially Western Adventism, America is the one I'm speaking of mostly here, but this is also true in, in Canada, the UK, Australia. Like we need to stop pretending that one has to be a good European first before you can be a good Adventist. We need to stop conflating holiness with Eurocentrism. You don't have to look like, sound like, dress like, or act like a cultured European to be holy. And it's this false notion, right? And it's reflected in ideas like hymns only and King James Version only and suit and tie only. And, and the notion that classical music is somehow inherently more sacred than music from tribal cultures. And it's this, this mentality that stifles our young people's creativity because, you know, like emerging generations express themselves differently and they need to be released and set free to do that. So if you're an Adventist creative and you're listening to this, I want you to be set free. And, and maybe some people are like, hey, you know, we need to control this because, you know, they're, you know, creatives can take the theology and they can mess it up. And I'm like, you know what? I have yet to meet one creative that has filled the earth with heresy. You know who fills the earth with heresy? It's usually people who are like theologians and 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 and, and preachers. I've I've yet to meet a creative that that has done that. Number one and number two, I think that that fear really betrays our own insecurity with how compelling our narrative is. Like I'm not afraid of that because. I believe that Adventism is so beautiful as a narrative, it doesn't need me to protect it. It's awesome, it's beautiful, it's cohesive, and I'm perfectly comfortable with saying to the entire creative Adventist community, take this narrative and run with it and create with it and, and make music and art and whatever you want with it, communicate it to the culture, do it in a way that makes sense to you, that has, you know, existential utility. And I don't need to control it. And I don't need to put, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, I can't think of the metaphor right now, but basically, yeah, like I don't, I don't need to put boundaries or not boundaries. Um, I don't need to put borders around that in order to sort of somehow feel better about what the end product is going to be like. Because you know what? Adventism is beautiful and it doesn't need me to protect it. It doesn't need me to defend it. And despite all of the mess that has attempted to corrupt Adventism for decades now, despite the influence of legalism, despite the influence of fundamentalism, despite last generation theology, despite, you know, all of this crazy stuff, the beauty of Adventism lives on. The beauty of this narrative lives on. And, and I believe that it's beautiful on its own. It doesn't need me to defend it. So anyway, um, I think, and I've said this in previous episode, 
European Victorian Adventism. It, it might be beautiful or a beautiful expression of faith in its own right. But to act as though any deviation from this man-made cultural mode is sinful is idolatry at best. To criticize the worship expression of diverse cultures and generations just because it doesn't look or sound like 1950s Caucasian Adventism is to place man-made value structures equal to the Word of God. Newsflash, guys. Newsflash. And this might offend some of you. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I don't know. <laughs> um, here's the deal. God is not old. God is not middle class, God is not American, and God is not from the 1950s. Holiness and European worship, dress, and lifestyles are not the same thing. Like, I've even had people message me and say, hey, Marcus, uh, you know, I want to share your podcast with others and in my church, but I feel like your intro music might put them off. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, if it's seriously, if that's all it takes to put them off, yeah, um, I'm okay that with them not listening, you know, like we got to stop catering to this, man. We got to stop bowing down to this nonsense and, and pretending like it's okay. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. It really is. Uh, now, we also need to get over this idea that new equals dangerous. And, and for some reason, Adventist culture has developed this idea that if it's new, if it's different or if it's innovative, then we're opening the door to deception. Um, and it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Like HMS Richards, for example, um, going, going, uh, going back here, going, going old school here, you guys, HMS Richards is a legend, right? Now, HMS Richards, he faced strong criticism as he pioneered radio evangelism, right? The radio is of the devil, his critics shouted. Uh, and likewise, uh, TV evangelism face the same thing and, and digital social media evangelism face the same criticisms um and that is until covid hit right and then like <laughs> and then it was like hey everybody check out our service online um and then like and i mentioned this earlier in, in 2015 you know you had the, the innovative mini film adaptation of the great controversy known as the record keeper which was protested and eventually shut down because it didn't appeal to the old guard mentality and in local churches everywhere any attempt to try something new is always met with resistance and suspicion now Ellen White cautioned against this sort of mentality and strongly advocated for innovative ministry. But of course, I have found that most of the ultra conservatives who oppose this stuff, um, who are really big on Ellen White, they're really big on Ellen White when it suits them, right? Because when you find Ellen White quotes that disagree with them or that challenge them, they find a way to wiggle around it. So, you know, this is more for your understanding and for your education, not to try and convince someone who's ideologically possessed by conservatism. Um, because even Ellen White won't change their mind. Like Jesus said to the Pharisees, even if someone came back from the dead, <laughs> you know, in the parable of Lazarus, like you still won't change your mind. And, you know, what can you do? But check out some of these statements that Ellen White made. A lot of these are from the book Evangelism. Um, so in page 70, she writes, new methods must be introduced. God's people must awake to the necessities of the time in which they are living. God has men whom he will call into his service, men who will not carry forward the work in the lifeless way in which it has been carried forward in the past, end quote. Um, I love that because, you know, it's like some people think the way it has been carried forward in the past is the only right way. And Ellen White's like, actually, it was lifeless. And God's going to call people who are going to carry the work forward in a way that's not the way we did it in the past, which is awesome. Uh, and, and this posture, you know, advocating for innovation and creativity is repeated constantly in, in Ellen White's counsels. And uh, if you got the book, um, Weird Evolution, you can look at Appendix A, and it's got a whole bunch of more quotes. Um, if you go on the storychurchproject.com in the search feature and you look up, uh, was Ellen White against anything new? Uh, you'll find an article there with a bunch of quotes too. Um, 
so yeah, I think that this real like passion for creativity and innovation is something that we need to embrace and promote with passion. But I, I want to caution you because I've heard lots of people like, yeah, innovation, 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 but they want to constrain innovation to the things that make them comfortable. And it's like, no, you cannot have it both ways. If you're going to be innovative, if you're going to be creative, yeah, you have to be smart because not everything that's innovative is smart. You know, some people being innovative, they, they, they do things that aren't exactly helpful. Um, so not everything that has the stamp innovation on it is necessarily a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, you can't control innovation. If you try and control it, it's not innovation, you guys. You got to let go. You got to let go. You got to let the creators and the youth and you got to let them dream and imagine. And if you have confidence that the beauty of Adventism is inherently potent, then you will have the capacity to let go and just let them have fun with it. Uh, and, and really, we, we need, I think we need this, guys. We need to live once more as a movement eager for the return of Jesus. We need to live once more as a people aware of the prophetic events that have been foretold and be unashamed to speak hope into our communities. And our church services need to celebrate our holistic story as well. New songs need to be written for us to worship with. Songs that capture the beauty of our holistic narrative and that, please, for the love of God, do not sound like ballads from a Disney movie in 1990, okay? New churches need to be planted with new structures and architecture based on the foundation of this God of love and witness. We need to create ministries and projects designed for the salvation of the lost, not the comfort of the saint. We need new Bible study resources that teach the narrative of Adventism, not just disjointed doctrines for the sake of ticking the boxes and baptizing someone. We need a deeper commitment to social service and justice from a sanctuary perspective. We need to reject any tradition and custom that gets in the way of connecting with a broken culture and preparing it for the judgment currently taking place. We need a unity based on the sanctuary of God, a unity that is built on the knowledge that God is working in all cultures at all times and in diverse manners. And I think this worldview would provide a strong foundation or actually provides us with a strong foundation for unity in diversity, as opposed to the relativism that is often used. And, and most importantly, we need to be a sanctuary people by becoming centers of influence, right? These little sanctuaries that reflect God's love and desire to be with us by coming close to our communities and being with them in intimate ways. And I think if we take our beliefs serious, we can't get away from the fact that the sanctuary vision calls us to step out of our spiritual myopia and become actively involved in helping the addicted, the broken, the lonely. It's this call to reach out to this lost world with more urgency than ever before that they may come to know Christ and his cleansing blood. But how, right? That's, I think, um, the question that we finally arrived to because any reasonable person will see a gargantuan checklist in this episode of all these things we need to do. And um, I, I think uh, these are things I believe that need to, to change in our church. Um, but even then, everything I've said here is only just to start, right? It's only just scratching the surface. So how can we accomplish this without being overwhelmed? And I think the answer really lies at the heart of our story, and that's Jesus if we simply focus on making Jesus the center of our faith and remove anything from that center that doesn't belong there, I believe the things expressed in this series, plus many other manifestations of beauty, will simply fall into place all on their own. Because Jesus is the answer. And as we turn our eyes on him and we seek to define our faith and practice in his person and by his grace, we're going to experience a metamorphosis in our churches. This change will be actuated and maintained, not by mere human methods or strategies, but by the Spirit of God. And again, in the next episode, I want to talk some more about, um, you know, about the, uh, 
contextualization in our present age, at least given some examples. Now, here's the thing, guys. I, I don't have all the answers either, okay? Um, and I don't, I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers. And, and I'm also not going to pretend that a renewed God is love slash with us sanctuary presupposition is going to magically solve all the problems in the church. Um, but one thing I am convinced of, and it's this, we have to remember our story. Because our story is not about us, it's about him. And until we choose from the ground up to rediscover the narrative of Adventism as a narrative about God's character of love, we're going to continue to wander aimlessly amidst a broken post-church culture, seeking answers to questions that God has already given us. We're going to continue to perpetuate dead and visionless churches that major in the minors and have little to no connection with the communities in which they reside. Now, although the sanctuary narrative is inexhaustible, I love how Ellen White summarized it in the following statement. Check this out, you guys. Um, I don't remember what book this is in, but it's in one of her books. You believe me, don't you? Um, it goes like this. In the temple in heaven, the dwelling place of God, his throne is established in righteousness and judgment. In the most holy place is his law, the great rule of right, by which all mankind are tested. The ark that enshrines the tables of the law is covered with the mercy seat, before which Christ pleads, pleads his blood in the sinner's behalf. Thus is represented the union of justice and mercy in the plan of human redemption. This union, infinite wisdom alone could devise and infinite power accomplish. It is a union that fills all heaven with wonder and adoration. The cherubim of the earthly sanctuary, looking reverently down upon the mercy seat, represent the interest with which the heavenly hosts contemplate the work of redemption. This is the mystery of mercy into which angels desire to look, that God can be just while he justifies the repenting sinner and renews his intercourse with the fallen race, that Christ could stoop to raise unnumbered multitudes from the abyss of ruin and clothe them with the spotless garment of his own righteousness to unite with angels who have never fallen and to dwell forever in the presence of God, end quote. Now, notice that in this statement, it's found nearly every theme in scripture, right? In it, we, we, we find God's character of love, his desire to be with us. We find his holiness, his power, his wisdom. We find his justice, his law, his judgment and mercy. They're also there. Jesus is our mediator is there. His blood, our redemption, our central heaven is there. Angels are there. The battle between good and evil is there. And toward the end, we're once again reminded of God's intimacy with us, right? She uses the word intercourse. I mean, that's deep intimacy that God has with us. And, and Christ's salvific power and grace and love and at last the ultimate end of the narrative of scripture our eternal reunion with our creator for which he gave his son on the cross and this whole bible approach to the love of god is what adventism is all about he is a sanctuary god a god of witness who both loves us and longs to be with us that is our story and we tell it not only in one or two books in the bible not only with a side blinded focus on the law or assurance or any other pet doctrine but in every theme and song and prophecy and i believe we have to you guys because there is a day coming i want to quote here from the great controversy one of my favorite statements in, in 
in the entire series, um, Conflict of the Ages series, where Ellen White closes the Great Controversy with this. The um, she talks about you know the end of the Great Controversy, where the Great Controversy has ended, and she goes on to say, "One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From Him who created all, flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is love." That's our story, you guys. That's our story. So I want to invite you to remember it. I want to invite you to build upon it. And I want to invite you to communicate it. And I want to set you free to do that with the gifts that God has given you, unencumbered, unhinged, unrestricted by the Eurocentric, fundamentalist, hyper-conservative culture that we often restrict Adventism with. No, knock those shackles off and just go and tell the story, you guys. Now, as we close this episode got four questions that I want you to talk because remember, you're supposed to be listening to this with a friend. If you're listening to this by yourself, I'm mad at you, man. I am. I really am. But I still love you. Four questions, okay? Four questions that I want you guys to discuss. And then we're going to come back for the one final episode next week where I'm going to talk about uh, contextualization. Now that we know what Adventism is and we've gotten rid of what it is not, how do we now reframe this for the culture? This is what you guys have been waiting for the whole time. So it's going to be fun. So here are the four questions. Question number one, what steps can you take today to lead your local church to remember its story? For example, maybe preach a sermon series, maybe start a small group going through this book and this podcast series. Uh, maybe discover it for yourself and share it with others in more low-key ways. I don't know. But what steps can you take that will actually lead your local church to begin to remember its story. Question number two, what steps can you take to build on this story and discover more of God's love in scripture? Question number three, what steps can you take to create a culture of innovation and creativity in your local church, in your local community, right? What, what, where, where are you like, you know, like skills, abilities, whatever it is you have, what can you do to just be free in innovation and creativity uh, to, to really communicate this story. And question number four, how do you feel about the invitation to launch this catalyst of rediscovery in your local church, right? Uh, uh, what In the book, it's called the weird evolution, right? Uh, a revolution of weirdness. And, and the weirdness is really a, a metaphor for the eccentric holistic narrative of Adventism. But basically, you know, how do you feel about the invitation to, to sort of be a catalyst for remembering and building on and communicating our story? So share your thoughts and your emotions with your friend, with your group, be as honest as possible. And I'll catch you guys next week for the final episode. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to redesign Adventism for mission. 